Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Sorry about the little hiatus. Tracy has been a super amazing busy lady and we will jump into that in today's episode. But before we even start, we have some fun. Well, I think they're fun logistical things. Seed Pediatric Services is actually looking for occupational therapists. Anybody who is like minded and loves to do deep work and provide clinical excellence, please get in contact with us. You can just jump on Seed Facebook page or you can email or you can ring. Um, We would be happy to hear from you. And actually, Tracy, is DFX also looking for advanced clinicians? We are looking for advanced clinicians. So through our website or, you know, social media, you can get in touch with us and um, absolutely always interested in people who are like-minded, like you said, Corey, but also um, our, we just moved our clinic to a beautiful new location in Denver, and um, it's so beautiful that I kind of mm. can't believe it. And so the team is doing magnificent work, and we do uh, we're growing. So yeah, absolutely, be in touch. Yes, do it, people. We love this work, and we love to share it and continue to learn together. So definitely get in touch. Michelle, I think you're on it today. What are we talking about? Well, today's topic that we want to talk about and invite everybody to um, join us as we hear from Tracy, who has just been to the Polyvagal Institute gathering and the Unite Safe and Sound Summit over four days. So um, she, her brain was immersed in polyvagal theory and she was rubbing shoulders with all the really leading people working in this area. Lots of OTs were there, which is fabulous to hear. And Trace was given the honour to present a couple of times over the four days, which, um, Trace, I just want to say congratulations for that. You're so humble. You won't say what a big deal that was, but I'm going to say that's a big deal and I'm so, so happy for you and pleased for you. You were given that honour. There were other OTs who presented. I won't name everybody because I'll miss them, but um, go OTs. We're really proud that you were invited and part of that conference or those that think tank really, I guess. So today we really wanted to hear what what made Trace's uh, brain explode, what was uh, probably confirmed and what was new. We'll go over, I guess, the three key areas or components of polyvagal theory, which I'll let Trace talk about. But um, yeah, Trace, how was it? It was like, it was like, I can't even hardly describe it. You know, when you, when we go, when you go to camp and you have that feeling of deep connection and, um, and then you leave and you, you long for like those, just the intimacy and camaraderie. But I tell you, I think because I don't know, we, a bunch of us were talking about it, that if you took that in, entire same group of people who didn't really, some people knew each other. I didn't know that many people there until I was there and met them. And, but because the topic was polyvagal theory and safety, everyone was like manifesting it. And so it was like magic. It was almost like too good to be true in a way. The feeling that, that deep, deep, deep felt sense of safety and connection. It was so magical. You felt really engaged and your brain was super switched on. People were talking about profound approaches to really like fixing humanity. Really, it can save the world kind of stuff. For real, it's not a pipe dream. There's incredible work happening. And so to just witness that and feel a part of it somehow and just, oh my gosh, it was transcendent it was an incredible experience Mm. there were so many magnificent speakers we can't call them all out I will say that one of our colleagues that we all have quite a lot of affection for Kim Barthel was magnificent and um, so that was really a treat uh, for sure so I do want to make sure to to just highlight that and how how beautiful OT was represented at this conference was amazing. I also think I you know uh, part of what uh, Dr. Porges 
had invited me and Randall Redfield, who run is the the CEO of the Polyvagal Institute. Um, they they really see that the work that occupational therapists are doing, especially grounded in sensory integrative and processing theories, has so much direct, exact direct relevance to polyvagal theory and how polyvagal theory is evolving and how it's going to really influence not just the therapy world. I mean, certainly Dr. Porges sees the influence in pediatrics and in the world of trauma-informed approaches, which are the most direct um, current applications. But even at this conference, so many discussions about the application to social justice and to education and to how we treat each other in the world generally in terms of just our survival as as a planet and as a people. So there's that. It's big. And we're not going to talk so much about that earth-shattering part, but I kind of feel like I just want to hold on to it um, deep in my essence and try to work toward manifesting it the best that I can wherever I can. Mm. So that's real. That's a very real thing for me to share with you. But the other thing is that in the in Dr. Porges's theory, you know, there are three key components here. There's the mm. hierarchy of the polyvagal states with ventral and sympathetic and dorsal states as being these really big concepts that are critical to understand. And then the other two concepts are neuroception and just as a definition, mm. neuroception. So we've talked about that in a previous mm. episode, but I think we can talk a little bit about that. My talk and what Dr. Porges encouraged me to try to share was mm. what is the interface of sensation to neuroception? So that was mm. the topic of one of my talks. And so we can talk a little bit about that if you want to. Mm. And then the other core idea related mm-hmm. to the polyvagal theory is is co-regulation and how this neuroception and the way that the wiring and the neural networks of the polyvagal system work they both depend on co-regulation and they support our social outcomes our ability to become deeply deeply connected in meaningful ways to each other and how each deep, meaningful connection mm. begets a deeper level of humanity in each of us every moment. And so it's this spiraling continuum that we talk about in the spirit model, mm. but with the core of it being our socialness, our sociality is the word that Dr. Porges uses. So those concepts, I think, are deep. And yes. even though I feel like I understand this theory really well, I then I feel like it slips away mm. from me when I see the magnificence of it and and really how deep it is. And and yet it and yet it's kind of simple in in one way. And and this the simpleness comes from just one word, safety. Mm. So the whole essence of it is that if your nervous system or you as a person don't feel safe inside, outside, and in between, then you're going to have difficulties. You're going to suffer and struggle, and that suffering and struggling could even impact your development. Mm. So safety is a notion that's embedded in neuroception, but wow, when you only think about safety as like the base of regulation, it kind of simplifies things. Mm. Tracy, when I think about it, uh, you know, you, you was talking about when you consider it simply and deep neuro is not my strength. I tried to get my head around it. But I have watched a few, um, we've got an online subscription to the gathering and so I've watched a few of those presentations and I guess, you know, just even without even thinking about it clinically, I felt, I could see, I could neurocept that all of you in that environment, whilst there was nerves speaking, I guess, initially, there was this sense of, oh, look at them, something's happening there, like how you were speaking, how your body was. I knew you were 
being, you know, you in particular, Kim as well, you were being held. I felt like there was this perception that the crowd was holding you and you were all in it together. I was an outsider looking in, you know, not lifetime, but it was like, wow, what is happening there? <laughs> so I, I perceive that whilst you, um, everybody had some nerves, I guess, about it. I'm, I'm not talking about you, Trace, but um. But there was felt safety, you know, there just was like, oh, there's some safety in this despite them speaking in front of thousands of people. <laughs> um, so I think you can... You know what was see, hilarious? Yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, you know what was hilarious, Tracy? Michelle and I texted each other when we were watching your your presentation and I was like, Michelle, I'm getting really emotional watching Tracy talk. Like, I'm so proud to know her. And <laughs> it was really exciting just to have representation of what this interfacing between sensory integrative work and polyvagal theory looks like and how people can have really detailed descriptive discussion around that, around this coming together of Mm. these two things. Because like you said in your talk, they really beautifully complement each other. And it is not surprising at all because it's all just neurology. And so if they didn't complement each other, it's like, well, the brain is the brain. Are we actively reflecting what's happening in the brain or are we not? <laughs> you know, So I think it'd be so great to hear your thoughts around those three pillars. So I know we've definitely talked about the neuroception part and safety and threat and activation and deactivation, but we can talk a little bit more about that. But I know you said that you got new revelations about co-regulation. And I don't know, that blows my mind that you of all people in my eyes <laughs> I'm not trying to make you feel strange but you got new revelations about co-regulation yeah that's mind-blowing to me so I'd love to hear what new things you put together around that concept um, if you're ready to talk about that first because I'm jumping into it so yeah so okay so here we are you know learning thinking about co-regulation and I feel like in my clinical work and just in kind of who I am as a person that I co-regulate people all the time. Um, And I think I really mindfully do it when I'm in a clinical situation Mm -hmm. and I'm often, you know, helping parents deepen their capacity to co-regulate. I'm often helping educators in classrooms to meet kids where they are and cultivate that. So I think that it's like a thing that I understand. And yet here I am in this conference. So there was a beautiful session that Deb Dana did where she did a live demonstration of co-regulating a beautiful soul, Leah DeWong, who is uh, works for the Polyvagal Institute. She happens to be finishing up her training as a somatic experiencing practitioner. So for those of you who don't know about somatic experiencing, um, it's a polyvagal-informed uh, trauma-based approach that deeply requires awareness on the part of the practitioner takes a long time to get certified and trained like three years of really full-on training um and within this work and somatic experiencing you have to really build a lot of self-awareness so this is this woman who has a lot of self-awareness working with deb dana who's the most exquisite clinician really on the planet and um you know so she's she's just taking her on this journey of um envisioning because she's an adult who can do that just like you and I could do what is your ventral state what Mm. is your dorsal state what is your sympathetic state Mm. and then within taking her on that visualization journey Deb was just offering in an intentional way, going with her on that journey, just patiently kind of going with her, but continually offering a ventral state. Mm. And it was really magnificent to behold. But what happened in my body in experiencing that, in co-experiencing that, was that I had this kind of funny aha. And what the aha was... um, was that when I think about co-regulation, I think about it as an ongoing thing, except that so often I think for therapists, what I notice 
is they think about co-regulation when the child's dysregulated mm. and bringing them back to a state of regulation rather than a continual presence of connectedness that fosters the best in you and the best in me continually. And so there's a minor shift in terms of sometimes I think about generally when I notice therapists, especially OTs, thinking about co-regulation, they're doing it in more um, like I'm going to co-regulate you in this moment and then I'm going to kind of go back to we're together, but I'm not mm. necessarily thinking that mm. being together is also co-regulation. Do you see the difference? There's like mm. this little shift in the temporal spatial nature of the container of co-regulation that happened for me. And I, I wanted to kind of bring it up and talk about it with you guys and kind of just hear your responses to that and see if that's different or the same of the way that you think about co-regulation. Yeah. So it was, it's an interesting little moment of, of broadening it mm, in a way. Uh, I, this is really weird, but I wanted to say, Michelle, then I'm sorry, I'm interrupting your ahas, but Lindsay, so I'm married to Lindsay and he is also a pediatric OT and yes, that's a strange thing, but it's wonderful. And we sometimes, mostly we try not to, but sometimes we have discussions around some of these concept and concepts and really interestingly, he and I were kind of disagreeing about what co-regulation was as a definition. And I was like, if you and I can't agree on this what is going on in our profession and how are we defining this and is it actually the same do we all define it in the same way or is it different because he was saying and um, speaking for him now but hopefully I get it reasonably accurate he was saying he was thinking about co-regulation as not necessarily like uh, he was picturing it as sometimes parents co-regulate children but mm. they co-regulate them into a dysregulated place uh-huh. like he wasn't taking it as one's the anchor as in I was always saying co-regulation is I am the point of anchor trying to pull them into a place of more regulation or greater access to ventral vagal state if we're talking about polyvagal theory or bringing them into a space where they can access more capacity to do whatever it is, what, you know, whatever it is they need to be able to do. But he was saying that's not just parents, but even clinicians sometimes co-regulate that child into a dysregulated place or they miss the mark. And so I was like, I've never thought about co-regulation, not being regulating. Does that make sense? I, well, I'm going to add my thing because it's along the same line. I see it as, a relationship. I don't think it's an on and off button, and like it's. I, I don't put it together like you mentioned, Trace. As it, it's a one way that there's a regulation, and I'm down. You know, I'm down regulating or I'm up regulating to optimum. So it's it's not just a one way. But I don't perceive it that I'm an anchor. I often can be, but what happens by nature? I'm not actually that playful. And I tend to be in my head. I feel like I can attune to people, but I sometimes want to get on with the business. And so kids often co-regulate me to a more playful state than I would go. They'll, I hope that I'm supporting them to an optimum you know, band into a ventral state but they take me to a playful state where I get out of my cognitive, this is going to happen next and then I'm going to do that. And then, you know, if it tips too far, then maybe I might go, oh, what do we do? You know, whatever. But the, the, so I'm kind of with Lindsay on that, that. Yeah, no, I wasn't, I wasn't disagreeing with him. Like once he said that, I was like, yeah, that's totally true, but I never really thought about it. I never thought about co-regulation as being dysregulating. Does that make sense? But it's so true because it's a co-constructed thing. Mm, like cool. it's, it's co-regulation. It's not 
I'm regulating you. And it's not just too <laughs> yeah. optimum. It can be out of optimum in Anything. Any way. Yeah. Can it try? Yes, absolutely. All of that. It's yes and all of that, right? It's So what I love about this is that we feel like we understand co-regulation, but there's so mm. much more to unpack here and there's so much mm. more to try to understand. Yeah. So in the deepness of relationship and in the way that humans are with each other, we are going to co-travel um, to mm. the state that we're pulled into. And what's interesting is that, you know, if, the, if you're at the playground and the affordances around you, um, around the child, invite a certain level of playfulness, of exploration, it's likely that that attitude, that essence of the child's experience is then shared to the adults around them and it might bring about more playfulness. If the child has vulnerability in the activation that happens in that joyful, jubilant exploration, they might start to become sympathetically activated and tip away from staying in an organized, safe space in their nervous system. The, de- the activation can tip them into franticness and into a loss. And so we're often co-regulating parents or helping them to understand that when that happens, we need to help bring the child to a place that's safer. But sometimes what happens when I see therapists try to coach this is instead of shifting into safety, they shift into downregulation. And What's really important Mm. is to remember, and we we get this deeply from the polyvagal theory, that the place you're anchoring isn't into a lower state. The place you're anchoring them is into safety, no matter what state they're in. That's what this is what the gap was with Lindsay and I when we were trying to have this discussion was we were lacking the terminology from the polyvagal theory to explain what we were trying to say. Because I was trying to say, yeah, but when a child goes into a state that is trickier for them to stay engaged in what they're wanting to be able to do. Right. So maybe they wanted to be able to play on the playground and then suddenly something's happened and they their state has changed and now they're suddenly not able to stay in the play. My job as a therapist is then to help figure out how to get them back to the place where they can do the playing. And you're right, it's just offering that safety. And what you were saying, what Dave Dana was doing is continually, therapeutically, intentionally, mindfully offering ventral vagal state. And I really would love to hear your perception of what exactly she was doing that was that was ventral vagal. Can I just break down that, what you just said, Tracy, because I have not thought about it because I probably think if I had to describe it, I would say, oh, yeah, then I co-regulated them. But what, um, you know, when they moved out of that, you know, into a more dorsal state, that I regulated them or moved them back towards a regulated state. The difference in what I'm trying to pick up on the nuance of what you're saying, though, but you're really saying you in in the in co-regulating them, you're offering them safety, a felt sense of safety, so that they um, so the ventral vagal tone turns back on, so that they correct me if I've got that. Right, or that you activate... Vagal tone. Yeah, mm. and that you're activating the vagal break, yes. right? That the, bra- the vagal break isn't always a total down regulation. So yeah. let's yeah. kind of stay on the playground yes. together, okay? So we're, we're on the playground, the child is, you know, vibrantly playing, they're being very exploratory, um, and maybe something happens that tips them into so much activation maybe they want to get on the slide and another child is trying to get on the slide and they get competitive and they start to push out in space and Mm. um and then that aggressive Mm. tone starts to take over and now it turns into Mm. full-blown aggression Mm. and they're pushing the kid and they're ramping up and now their language is getting aggressive and negative their body tone is elevated they're intense they're 
Um, and they're into sympathetic mm. activation that is now um, not in a safe mm. space. And so what we might do as an adult in that space is different depending on our relationship mm. with the child, right? But what could happen to a parent who gets triggered mm. in that state is now they're sympathetically activated and the child is sympathetically mm. activated and the whole thing is going to snowball mm. in intensity because the child then can't feel the safety signal from the limit setting because mm. maybe the adult is too intense and aggressive. Mm. Um, yeah. And the whole thing, and we know this yeah. situation, We've, we can picture it, we can feel it, we understand that this happens to our kids all the time. So the idea would be that in your own self that you realize that, you yeah. know, you, we say this all the time, you have to regulate yourself mm. first, but you have to see that, oh, the intensity here is intense. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to offer this child in their body, in their, in their mm. own self, in the space around them and in my relationship and interaction with them. So in all three of those spaces, I'm going to continually offer mm. signals of safety and I'm going to offer my own ventral mm. warm welcome space as a place for them to reference and draw from mm. so that they know there's a different state possible. Mm. And that that all is actually the conduit of shift mm. for that child because as soon as they access, oh wait, I don't need to push out their ability to regulate will be different than if they stay in a state that isn't safe. So they will see you, Trace. So I'm imagining you or me working out, oh, gosh, you know, he's activated and energised and or she, I am going to try and suspend my theories about why that happened or may or may not, but I'm going to go to the child and I'm likely going to get down to their level and, you know, have a soft face and try to kind of catch them in a really soft way so they tune in to me. And hopefully by seeing my eyes and the soft face, whatever it is, I'm going to do things that signal safety. So by them, ideally, neuro, you know, their neuroception is going to perceive me as safe and that's going to shift. That's a mechanism by which shifts their state. Is that right? That's right. There's a um, piece here that I hadn't thought about before as well, though, Tracy, which was I listened to Dr. Nikki's presentation as well and she talked about the safety in the in their own body the safety in between interactions and then safety and, and not just in between the interaction of the mm. individual and the other person but between the individuals around them mm-hmm. and then the environment itself so like the playground mm. itself I'm thinking about at a school the classic example of one child steals another child's ball because they think it's funny and it's play they they're being playful and funny and the other child is like it's just they're just gone right you can see it in their face it's not on for them they get so sympathetically activated they you can tell that if they get close enough they're gonna punch that kid they're gonna hit them and you and the energy straight away you could neuroceptively you feel it straight away if you're there and you're watching it you know something's gonna happen and so at that point it's like okay I can intervene here and Often, if they haven't gone so far into their own sympathetic activation, often you can offer that child a ventral vagal opportunity or a a co-regulation point of your own safety from you that they're able to hold it together enough that you can help them mediate that problem and then have a solution. Or even if you can't even help them mediate that problem, but you can help them hold it together enough that you can ask a child to give the ball back like Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have those like I'm sure you have the examples of that Michelle although uh, this is I'm thinking more of like standard state school like not mm-hmm. not even a specific school just as you'll see that everywhere right mm-hmm. um so you see that in adults <laughs> you don't have to go very far yeah, yeah. exactly exactly yeah, um yeah so it's it's the it's the safety that shifts the state but when we're talking about co-regulation trace it's how and that's I guess we'll your question earlier Corey was around what did Deb Dana do to stay in that 
space to offer co-regulation that you felt, Tracy? Because I guess in our work, you know, I listed some, you get perhaps down lower, you're softer, your tone, your rhythm. You know, we've got some things that I feel like we would cue safety trace. Was Deb doing things differently or did you just witness it and it resonated differently from seeing me working with a child or, you know, one of your clinicians working with a child? Why did it feel different? Yeah. So I think a couple of things. First, I think that very often in those situations with a child, so Mm -hmm. not in the situation that I was observing Mm -hmm. at this conference, but in a situation with a child, kids sometimes don't have the internal resources to just draw from my safety cues. And you have to have more active ways of pull of, of having the vagal break kind of activated. Um, so I might be offering, you know, um, breath. I might be offering uh, my body as a container. I might be offering an opportunity to say, um, push hard on here. Your body needs that push. Wow. Oh man, alive. And, you know, kind of joining them and acknowledging and letting them know that I understand the state they're in is the state they're in. And, um, I'm going to stay with them. So there was this profound nature of Deb kind of staying with her. Um, but what she was doing was just so actively and subtly continuing to offer, that she was never not present in exactly the way that the receiver needed her to be present. And I think what happens when we have kids who dysregulate is that that it can trigger us, even when we think Mm. we're being good at staying regulated ourselves. But truthfully, we're making a judgment about that Mm. kid's dysregulation. We're seeing them as being Mm. naughty or out of control or scary or something. Uh, And those things could be true. But if that evaluation, like at the end of the day, the hedonic tone, the signal, the valence of safety or threat is a valence. It's an evaluation. And if we evaluate, we pull ourselves away from it for a minute instead of maintaining the continuity. And it's the maintaining the continuity. What was interesting is that the woman receiving the support, she was visualizing that it never went away. There was always a constant presence of support. And I think that sometimes we shift our state ourselves and the kid starts to feel kind of scared. And that only makes regulation harder. Does that make sense? It's profound yes. and subtle. It's so amazing because I think we're describing the process of what has happened for me in terms of my journey as a therapist. Improving is this skill of suspending the judgment in the moment and taking things personally so this is continually a thing that I have to work on like all the time because it's just it just is and I'm human right but I feel like my ability to suspend the cognitive part of the doing and the what's next and the this and the that in treatment to be that present co-person in that space when I'm able to do that, it's like in the treatment session, you have these doors that open up and you can either go, oh, that's a thing that we, we can go there together. Or if I'm too in my head, I miss them and I still miss them. It still happens. But I feel like this is the describing of this process for me. Okay, if I'm able to stay present, ventrally, vaguely activated more frequently in my sessions, I'm going to be able to match a child better. Mm. And then I'm going to allow function more often than previously. I can only have this conversation with you guys. (laughs) That is not true, Tracy, but I'll take it and I'm on it. But that is not true. Corey, your example where, um, so it's the knowing of self and knowing around self about particular 
areas when we might be triggered or less able to catch us in the moment. So I think, Corey, you and I over time, and Tracy's facilitated us to get out of our heads and be present and attuned. Mm. So, I, you know, that feels graspable at the moment. I um, have had a really interesting uh, little guy I'm working with at the moment. Perception is there's some, some attachment issues. And I think he's acting them out with me in session. Some of his themes are around being the boss. So he's, you know, says a lot, you're not the boss of me. He definitely is driven to win and be better than others. So it's been a bit tricky. I've started recording each session in the session, I was mind blown. He, um, we were playing a game of hide and seek or some, you know, a really basic safety. Am I safe? Are you going to fire me? Are you, you know, reliable and dependable? Somewhere along the line, he picked up a noodle and he started slapping it. It was making a loud noise and then he kept moving into my direction. In the moment, I was scared that he was going to hit me. But I was thinking, stay safe. He's testing you out, Michelle. You know, just be with it. So I tried not to say anything in that moment. And he didn't. He kept slapping it. Um, but, but I know I worked, I felt that I was working hard to stay safe mm. and regulate myself and not give off the vibe that I was not feeling safe. When I look back to the video... He was a long way from me. It was loud. He did move it in direction. Mm. He was never going to hit me. He, but it was only when I was away from the situation and safe that I could view that interaction as, oh, Michelle, he was playing. He's certainly testing you out. <laughs> but you, your perception, I neurocepted threat and felt, you know, threatened mm. I would have withdrawn you know, it's a side angle of my face but there was no way on earth that my body would have felt so threatened and then activated that I could have covered all of that I'm sure he neurocepted that I felt unsafe and and it got wobbly we got wobbly because I stopped you know I shifted state and wasn't able to keep co-regulating him so then I he actually kept getting activated and then I moved away and we I started another game with the noodle such that I picked one up and then we turned it into a hitting of the balls so I tried to maneuver away from him threatening me with the noodle when I look back I'm sure that wasn't lost what I was trying to do there anyway we there's a million other ways but I know that I didn't manage and need to keep working on that activation, the loud noise, the threatening thing that I perceive wrongly at, in that moment. So I guess that's what you talk, you know, that's my physical experience or my lived experience of having a wobbly moment whilst I was trying to co-regulate and that it goes both ways, Trace, that I, in him slapping that noodle close to me, something shifted I shift my state shifted and then that went back to him and then you know it unfolded a bit Mm. we unraveled a bit and then I tried you know gathered myself and then turned it into something else so I kind of got away with it but but I guess when you're talking about (laughs) safety and reflecting really deeply on on our own selves and what triggers us and how, you know, it just, uh, uh, that would have all been lost on me if I didn't record the session and watch back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I felt like you were describing my own inner experience in many mm. sessions when um, physical mm. violence pops up. It's very, very hard to stay ventral. Mm. And I felt that when you were saying I had to work hard, I was like, yes, it's hard, 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 hard work to stay ventral and offer ventral when that's the presentation and there's you know each of us has their own trigger but for me I find that that harder as well if that happened again in another session Michelle how would you have like how would you have liked it to have worked been worked through instead of because I know you said you kind of got away with it but what would you have liked it to look like and before you answer that I want to I want to add a layer and that is that 
this little guy has an attachment issue. So it's likely that this mismatch has been his lived experience. And, you know, we're not going to be 100%. And we are going to struggle to stay in ventral. And we will need to have ventral and sympathetic states co-activated in order to get through that Mm -hmm. moment because there's no way as a human that you're not if you feel a threat Mm -hmm. you feel a threat too your neuroception tells you that so and the misattunement the mismatch is actually part of the pendulation and the healing and the Mm -hmm. helping him to build his Mm -hmm. capacity so but because you were mindfully working hard, that's the whole thing in mm. therapy. We're mindfully working hard to come back around, mm. create a different opportunity for adaptation. And that's precisely what you did. And so, mm. you know, there will be those mismatches. But watching mm. the mismatch was the profound thing. You couldn't mm. see it in the moment because it was too intense. You could only see it on the video. And, and what an important thing for this little boy that you could see that, because I think mm. that's probably been his lived experience is that people don't get his intensity. They misread his mm. intensity. They push people off and then he has to figure out how to rope be back in. And that's tricky for a little guy. So, mm. so then with all of that context, think about, yeah, how, how mm. will you proceed? And um, because I've kept working with him weekly, I've had be, you know, it keep presenting in different iterations of this. Um, and, you know, I need to say that I'm activated now, <laughs> you know, even thinking back, which yes. is what happens to us, <laughs> that I feel activated. <laughs> I feel charged. What I... Um, We're here with you, Michelle. Thanks for holding me. <laughs> Can I say to the audience, this is really organic lifetime stuff. We don't prep our <laughs> podcasts, so it's real. They're holding their hearts and they're like, oh, are you okay? Thanks for co-regulating me. Um, what I um, in the moment thought was a lost opportunity that, well, and it's exactly, I think, Tracy, what you've said in that that's his lived experience. And if at the very least I wonder that his experience is – Everybody tries to shut that down and turn it, you know, into something else really quickly. What I've been able to do, and it's fascinating, and I don't really want to present this case right now, but um, <laughs> you've landed here. <laughs> this is what happens when you don't plan. <laughs> is that I didn't want to hurry so fast around that that I after that experience thought do you know what I which I did at the time say oh my goodness that is so loud you know that gave me a shock so I did a bit of that but then as it got closer and as actually more threatening I didn't really narrate it and then I was like what am I going to do what am I going to do so when it turned up again is it was like whoa that was so close to me I felt like that was going to hit me in the face I need a minute now and so I was trying to model or share what was happening for for me that Mm. wow I just got so scared I'm going to have to step away for a minute. That made my body tingle, you know, or get really electric because I really thought you were going to hit me about that. Um, So then I kind of took a breath and just was like, oh, I think I'm ready for that again. Do you mind if I get a noodle too? Or um, I think I did ask him a session later, hey, were you really going to hit me with that? Are you trying to hit me with that? Or were you just like telling me that you were really mad or are you playing around with the sound? So I was just trying to understand it fascinatingly. That was not what he wanted to do. Like uh, he wasn't he wasn't ready to have a conversation around what his intention was. And to be really honest, I don't think he knew what it was. My mm-hmm. wondering is things unfold for him really quickly and then he does something, but when I tried to kind of explore how did that go from a playful game to it feeling threatening for me, what happened there, he didn't want to know about it, so he still has a hard time exploring that. And sometimes he was like, 
stop talking so much, you know, let's just noodle. And so he doesn't want to hear me narrating my feelings and emotions. Like, rah, just, just slap. So it's just where he's at. But that's, I guess what I was trying to do is not be so fast to signal to him that's not okay we're not going to noodle slap Mm. you know in this Mm. session that I wanted to be like oh you want to explore noodle slapping Mm. I can go there with you I can explore big intensity and and I um I wanted to unpack that emotionally with him and what underlies that he's not quite ready yet. Anyway, I need some mentoring right. around that, Tracy. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, the thing that's that's interesting is that when we think about those valence tipping mm. points, right? Mm. At the higher level, away from just safety and threat, we get to these levels of, of felt experience that include we're in this together and we're having fun and we're, we have a shared agenda. We have a shared level of trust. Mm. And, and when trust is violated for kids like this, the sense that they can get is either out of, I've lost control. Mm. So now my only way to control is with, with aggression Mm. or they get a sense of shame and that shame becomes very big. So Mm. it sounds like in the past people would have, set a limit and he may not have graded control. He mm. may move into sympathetic activation and not have volitional control mm. over that big intensity that he's pushing out into the world. Mm. But then people respond to it as if he does have control mm. and not you, but in his lived mm. experience and that triggers shame. Mm. So for you yes. to venture into processing it, help me understand what's going on here. He, he's like, well, I don't want to talk about that because I feel bad. Yes. But mm. he didn't feel bad. He kind of was like, oh, this is kind of interesting, but I don't know that I want to do it. Yeah. So what a beautiful opening to the possibility of actually deepening his understanding of his humanity that you've created through mm. that. And it just takes lots of iteration of trusting mm. that when we talk about this, it's not because I did something that you don't like me anymore, mm-hmm. that I've lost your trust, that I've lost my connection with you, that our secure reliance on each other varies based on my state, mm-hmm. which has been his difficulty. Mm-hmm. He can securely rely on you to be authentic, mm-hmm. and it's okay to authentically share your experience. So I think you're doing the work there, mm-hmm. and it sounds fantastic yeah Yeah. but what I guess what the case has highlighted for me is that I'm finding it really challenging and since that there was another thing we were doing a sock wrestle game we were putting a sock on each other's you know foot and we're trying to pull it I in the video I perceived that he stopped the game pretty quickly and I was like oh I wonder what happened there when I looked back I was looking very physically, I got got down and, you know, was in a puppy dog kind of position, but then I was like ready and I see that I look very physically agile and strong and I look like I was going to win. <laughs> I look threatening and I see now that he, I didn't mean to, my intention was mm. like, okay, I'm ready to go, you know, and probably pounced, but it was I see that he perceived that as threat and was like, wow, I'm not playing with you. A, because you're going to win and I like to win. And it was a bit not my intention, but there was a menacing component in how I moved my shoulders. So it was like, whoa, wow. Anyway, he is um, really teaching me so much around my capacity to co-regulate when it looks different, when he he doesn't respond reliably. So that catches me and I do be like, oh, my God, what am I going to do next? But I know that I am pulling away and trying to buy some time, which I know he's perceiving. And he does that have that big, you know, loud physical aggression component to it, which, again, is tricky. So it's just interesting that knowing thyself just really never stops where I think you know we've worked hard to try to stop being so cognitive and planning and all the rest of it but it was like oh thanks kiddo obviously I've got to go to the next level of area where I um, try to receive (laughs) seriously I don't I don't I I just want to say you will have validated 
so many people in that unveiling of wonderful vulnerability that you just gave everyone around your experience around this child because I I, I just sat here like shaking my head around how amazing (laughs) that was because this work is like it just pulls us apart (laughs) down the middle explore all your own junk and I honestly think I've become a whole different human being in the time that I've started this journey and then where I am now and I have no doubt that by the in the next however long I'm in this space it'll just continue to just it just keeps Mm. unfolding right and I I don't know it's only in these discussions and your willingness to video yourself on your hard child that is that was me that was I was like I don't get this something's not right I can't understand it I'm going to video it and it gave me the space to look from a distance without the intensity of the moment because Mm. it's like you know we we talk about children misperceiving sensation and intent and and whatever but we do too like I Mm. I can distinctly remember early on in my career Tracy um, showing you a video of a child I was playing with a fish a big Nemo fish and I was like and and went to like eat his foot or or, um, maybe it was his (laughs) shoulder or something and he got so dis disregulated, so sympathetically activated in that moment. He had the angriest face. He stood up and he like he looked at me and he was like, "Don't do that!" And he got so angry, and I was so thrown off because I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like I don't, I have no idea what just happened. Like we were playing, and then suddenly he is off the charts mad at me, and I have no idea what happened. And in the video. I was like showing it to Tracy. I'm like, I still don't really understand. Like what is going on here? And she was like, (laughs) can you see the speed at which you use the fish, the angle at which you came at him from? It was behind space. He doesn't get behind space. He's tactically defensive. You know, these things played into his perception of that. And that was his uh, truth. Right. And, and I was like, Oh, like that, I get it. But in the moment, if I hadn't videoed, I still wouldn't ever, ever, ever have understood that. And again, my hard kid, right? So just thanks, Michelle. Thank you for being Michelle. (laughs) Like really, it's really, 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 really amazing. Yeah. Beautiful, generous sharing. And I think that this discussion is, like you said, Corey, just going to help so very many people feel like oh wow I I'm working at getting this right Mm. and it's a lot of work to to move in the direction of really deepening our practice so wow that was beautiful thank you this podcast is brought to you by seed pediatric services and developmental fx for more information please go to our show notes on our website spiritedconversationspodcast.com or catch us on our Seed and Developmental FX Facebook or Insta pages. So grateful to have you with us for this episode. Take care and we'll see you next time.